Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Brothers Banter. With you today is Brother JD. Brother Raphael will be joining us a little bit later as we go over kind of the future of what the Brothers Banter podcast is going to look like this year and then leading into our, our next season, our second season. And this being our last episode of the season, at least for Brother and I, we thought we'd go out with a bang and have Brother Lawrence Goyette with us. Brother Lawrence is currently the one of the auxiliary visitors for the District of Eastern North America, where I'm from. And But before that, he has been in middle school most of your vocational life, right? Yes. So, Brother Lawrence, why don't you take some time to, to introduce yourself? Sure. First of all, uh, Brother JD, it's always good to be with you. I appreciate having this opportunity. Uh, to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. Um, so just a little bit of background. I um, grew up outside of Providence, Rhode Island in the uh, small city of Pawtucket uh, back in the 60s and uh, went to a LaSallean high school. I mean, the term LaSallean was not in vogue back then, but it was a, a, a school staffed by Christian brothers. And that's where I pretty much got my vocation uh, and I entered the brothers uh, novitiate directly out of uh, high school. So at a pretty young age, 17. And then uh, after college, um, I just had this perfect opportunity. I was living in a small community in, outside Providence where uh, the brothers the year before had gotten involved in a local parish, um, you know, Catholic parish elementary school. And I began teaching what basically was middle school um, grades. And I all my career as, a, as an educator, I never looked back. Mm -hmm. So um, starting in about 1972 until about 1992, uh, I was working either as a teacher or administrator in um, Christian Brothers, for the most part, Christian Brothers staffed uh, elementary schools in the Providence area, as well as New York City in uh, Queens and Brooklyn. And um, St. Gabriel's, right? St. Gabriel's School, yes, yeah. in uh, East Elmhurst. And so I've heard of that a few times from a certain brother. That's right, from a certain brother you, that we both know very, very well. That's yes. right. Uh, even our provincial was at that school when, when I taught there. So oh, the wow. three of us, Ed, Dennis, and I, uh, were there not at the same exact time, but we all overlapped at least a little bit. Because if you were all there, everything would just, you know, implode or because it would be a success. One or, so one, one, when one may never when, know. Listen, when you think about it, the three of us in the same place at the same time, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit scary and it's a little bit like overpowering in a sense, right? It's like, mm -hmm. uh, whoa, what a dynamic trio. Anyway, uh, uh, so much for patting myself on the back uh, <laughs> there. And so that, that I, I consider that as like the first half of my fairly traditional uh, education, you know, in terms of teaching and, and uh, being an administrator uh, journey of my life. Okay. Well, and then so after 1992, right, is when what we now know is the San Miguel Model School, right? that was your work after that point in time, correct? That, that's right, you know, and it was, uh, I, I always think of it as being kind of serendipitous I was in a, a Catholic uh, elementary school in Providence, Rhode Island, St. Raymond's, uh, that was struggling financially. The enrollment was going down, down, down. The, 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 the neighborhoods from which it was drawing were coming, you know, kids were coming from uh, 
um, economically challenged neighborhoods. And so each year the enrollment just kept going down until it got to the point where they, they couldn't financially make a, a go of it. I, I loved the school. It was a great little school, you know? So, mm -hmm. and, and because it was the early nineties, number one, first of all, I lost my job, right? The school closed. Mm -hmm. But at that same time, I was living with a, in a community of brothers in Providence in one of the poorest neighborhoods. There were five brothers uh, and each of the five of us in the, in the mornings would go off to different ministries. One went to LaSalle Academy, uh, one went to um, St. Raphael Academy, mm -hmm. one was working at Ocean Tides, and the other brother and I were each working at uh, inner city Catholic parish schools. And so we were getting a pretty good sense of what the needs were you know, mm -hmm. in the community. We were active in our parish. It was a very diverse parish, you know, masses were in Spanish, Hmong, you know, uh, a dialect from Southeast Asia and English. So it was very, very diverse. And um, so again, I lost my job. We're living in a very poor neighborhood where we can see what the needs are. And um, almost unbeknownst to me, at least at that time as a fairly young brother, the, the couple of years before that, uh, brothers, uh, gathered at our general chapter in Rome. And one of the many things that came out as a result of that chapter was, was uh, I'm making it very simple, sounding very simple, but it was to return to the original charism of St. LaSalle. That a lot of, um, and I'm saying brothers because at the time it really was brothers. It wasn't, you know, other LaSalleans were not as, as, um, as involved as they might be nowadays. So it was uh, to return to our roots. So it was that perfect storm, you know? I lost my job, um, I needed to get a new job. We're living in a poor area. The, the, uh, the directors from the general chapter were to start looking for ways in which we can uh, return to our roots. And so um, silly me says to myself, you know, well, I'm not just gonna get a job at another Catholic school. And then a couple of years from now, that school closes. Yeah. Let's 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 try to develop something new, where uh, the school won't necessarily be tuition driven. Okay. Um, thinking to myself, how hard can that be? You know, it's like <laughs> I had I had been a principal in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. I had been an assistant principal in Queens, I had taught I had taught in the suburbs and in, in um, urban areas. The only piece that I really had no experience with was raising money. Okay. And that was something, um, at least at that time, uh, it wasn't uppermost in my mind, you know, so, which is good, which is good, mm -hmm. right? It's that quote from LaSalle. I wish I had the words in front of me, but it's like, if I, if you, if I had known what I was getting into, you, you would never do anything. Yes. It's best to, uh, you know, uh, have an idea, start working on it. And then as you, as you move along it step by step, slowly, but surely, you start realizing that it's a little more involved than I ever would have expected, you know, yeah. and because most people, another. yeah, exactly. Most people wouldn't try anything if you actually knew what you're getting into, you know, yes. so it's a risk. Um, the district, uh, this is before there was such a district as district of Eastern North America was the Long Island, New England uh, district. So we, and we sort of had a, a tradition. We had a history of um, opening ministries that were uh, meeting particular needs nice. at a particular time. Okay. So just in Rhode Island, Ocean Tides, working with court adjudicated youth, 
Yes. That program really wasn't that much older. You know, at the time, I thought they had been around for years, but it was 10 or 15 years. Okay. They were still new kids on the block. And Tides Family Services, working with uh, families in crisis, mm-hmm. was um, even more recent. You know, so really in the early 90s, um, in a very small area like Rhode Island, yeah. we had five very distinct different ministries, two high schools. One was huge. The other one where I went to school, St. Raphael, was rather small, you know. And so really the, the, the inspiration, if I'm understanding you correctly, behind this San Miguel school was seeing what's happening around you, right? Was responding to the needs and the signs of the times where all these inner city parish elementary schools are closing. And so that was the idea to do something different and to continue to meet the needs of those children who would then go underserved through regular channels. Is that right? Exactly. And, you know, I don't think Providence is any different than a lot of other bigger cities where the, uh, the public schools are um, far less than perfect. Mm-hmm. Elementary, maybe at the time, was stronger. Uh, middle schools a little weaker, and some of the high schools, at least, were 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 just very very poor. Okay. And Providence is not unusual, you know. So so the, the thinking was that already several parish inner city elementary schools had closed, and that was going to be the wave of the future, you know. So here comes this crazy brother who's like forty four saying that. Um, uh, we're going to open a brand new school, and it's going to be different than any other parish school. And by the way, there's going to be next to no tuition. Wow. I mean, it, at the time, it was crazy. It was crazy, you know? And in fact, the Diocese of Providence said, uh, really, we don't want you to do that. It's just too risky, you know? And they, they gave us a list of a couple of, uh, it was a short list, a couple of uh, parish schools that were rocky, Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, maybe you could go into those schools and kind of enliven it. But um, I don't know. My gut was telling me that we had to come up with something brand new. Something different. Otherwise, we would have been in the same situation. Three or four years later, it was just going to close. And then I took, there's so many things at the time that I think back, I took as signs. One of the, one of the ones what, which I took as a sign was I was always taking these little mini workshops that Brown University offered might just be a weekend, might be two Saturdays, you know, and there was a workshop that was being offered right at this very time that was entitled, How to Start a Middle School. <laughs> wow. now, how, how, how often do you find kind of workshops like that? I think you that know? was a sign. That was, that's what we call providential. Really? Providential. And not only that, but it's in the city of Providence. You know, yes. it's like, it's like, as uh, Brother Rich Galvin always says, you can't make this stuff up. Really, it's kind of, uh, kind of crazy, yeah. you know? So can you share any particular experiences, um, memorable experiences from your time at San Miguel? So um, if you don't mind, I have a couple of things I want to mention first that kind of lead into that, if that's okay. Yeah. One, one of them was the fact that um, in terms of a lot of times people will say to me, why did you pick those particular grades? Yeah. And I think it's because my previous history was with those grades. So middle school, it's a, it's a different beast. I've never worked in a high school. And so it'd be presumptuous to say, I'm going to start a high school or I'm going to you know, do something like that. So that just seemed to make sense. The, the other piece is I, I had only worked in uh, co-ed 
situations up until okay. San Miguel. And that was my intent was to open a school for boys and girls. But as I started meeting with community leaders and educators, one after another said, what Providence needs right now, since you're gonna be small, would be a school for boys because there's a terrible gang problem in Providence and it looks like it's getting worse. And if, if a number of boys can be, this is my word, but saved, mm -hmm. uh, you'll be doing a great, a great service, you know? And then 10 years later, a school for girls opened, which still exists to this day in Providence. Uh, but so those are a couple of things that are, that are important. And then um, I'm a firm believer in, uh, so a lot of the schools in Providence, the failure rate was so incredibly high kids not making it through high school. And I'm really, I don't know, call me Pollyanna, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in the fact that I believe every single kid wants to be successful. Mm -hmm. Every single kid wants to uh, do the right thing. So many of them never meet positive role models and somebody that's gonna take a strong interest in their lives. And so they fall one by one, they fall to the wayside. Uh, so the, the understanding with opening up San Miguel was that we were not going to just look for, we're, we're going to, um, what, what do they call that? Cream, you know, take the cream the crop, yeah, cream, cream the crop, you know, we were going to actually try to look for a number of kids that have not had not done well in school. Mm -hmm. In addition to some kids who had, okay, common denominator was that they were coming from families uh, that were low income, you could never afford tuition. Mm -hmm typical tuition, although we charged everybody something, but it was, it was minimal. Minimal. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and it was, um, and I think that's where we kind of developed a, a little bit of a niche in the sense that we became known as a school that, um, for lack of a better term, produced real gentlemen, mm -hmm. kids that are, you know, make a really positive impression, but that was all part of the, the culture. Uh, that's that's another thing that I'm very big on is school culture. It doesn't just happen. There's a there's a special way of uh, creating a, an environment where kids are programmed, for lack of a better term, to succeed. You know, and kids learn from each other in addition to learning from uh, adults. So it was it was tough the first few years, but. Um, but I, that was one of the things that I felt was so important from day one, it was creating a culture unlike any other school culture. Uh, and here we are 28, 29 years later and the culture, I'm not there anymore. I've been going seven years, but the culture really hasn't changed. You know, the miracles are still, are still happening. Now the Miguel school is, is typically a smaller school. Why, why so small and why not, you know, try and have an impact on as many kids as possible? That's a, that's a great question. And, it, and it's a question that over the years that's come up a lot. And I think, I think the whole idea was that, um, first of all, before uh, opening San Miguel, I did have some um, contact with a couple of Jesuit sponsored schools okay. on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, Nativity. Oh yes. And then in Boston, which was created um, almost like from the, the, the fiber that was part of uh, Nativity on the Lower East Side. Somebody working there started the school in Boston. And so they were showing that smaller schools, um, you, first of all, a typical 
McGill School, or at least the one I was in in Providence, the typical number of students is 64. Grades mm -hmm. five, six, seven, eight, 16 kids per class. That's, that's been like that since almost the beginning. Okay. The whole idea is that we're, we're not dealing with just 64 kids. We're dealing with families because part of the Miguel, um, they, they call it the six essential qualities of a San Miguel school is uh, small classes, uh, faith-based, but mm -hmm. open to kids and families from any or no religion at all. After school program, summer program, uh, a huge component is uh, graduate support. Mm -hmm. It's staying with the kids, you know, and nowadays their graduate support directors, the last three that they've had have been alums of the school. Wonderful. So uh, the present graduate support director was in the very first fifth grade. You know, he started that first year in the fifth grade and was the first group to go through all four years. Okay. He's now their graduate support director and he's 37 uh, years old, you know? Wonderful. Uh, so, so a lot of those things we just felt were important. The, we, we, we wanted um, to be able to have the entire school body come together in the morning for a morning mm -hmm. assembly and not break it up into several se sections. So the focus is on building community, um, creating a culture where every, nobody can fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. I'd be foolish to say that no kid has ever fallen through the cracks there. But it's pretty rare. It's pretty but rare. At least you this know? way, it's, there are preventative measures in place by yeah. having a smaller, yeah. closer knit yep. community that you can't have in a large school. Yep. And you know the the other the other piece I think that's important, and it has a little bit of a role to play in numbers, is every year you've got sixteen boys graduating, and many of them go to private high school, mm -hmm. and then it becomes trying to find the funding for them to go to private high school. And obviously, if you've got 16, it's a little bit easier to do that than if you had 32. Okay. That's you know, fair. it's yeah. it's like the more kids you have graduating, the more the fundraising is going to be a challenge. And, and the same thing all, itself, yeah. right? Because it's not a tuition-driven school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, back to the earlier question, any particular experiences, uh, memorable experiences stand out in your mind? That you'd want to share with us about your time at San Miguel? Um, you know, there there are so many stories that come to my mind, but a couple of them I think that I um, I, I find myself thinking about every once in a while is that um, without our realizing it from the beginning, we had a we had a look at starting a school that was going to be unlike any other school in Rhode Island, faith based. We we. Officially, San Miguel is a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in the Kennedy directory. We're a nonprofit, but it was kind of straddling that line. Rhode Island is the least philanthropic state. It's harder to raise money in Rhode Island than it is in almost 49 of you know, the rest of the states. So that had to be a factor, you know? Absolutely. So we found a building that had been owned by a Lutheran church. They had a school, it was closing. We moved in and um, that, that was our biggest gift really the first few years because they did not charge us rent. Oh, wow. And so that was less money we had to raise. Mm -hmm. The first article that was written about the school appeared in the Episcopal Diocese newspaper, the first article. We've had a board chair along the way who was Jewish, 
who would be the one that would start every board meeting with let us remember we're in the holy presence of God, you know? It, it was, um, without our realizing it, we were creating an ecumenical, unofficially, but an ecumenical um, uh, school. Yeah. It's, I, I've, I've said to many people over the years that I've worked in many Catholic schools, New York City, Rhode Island, for the most part. And San Miguel, while legally it's Catholic, um, unofficially, it's more of a faith-based now, mm -hmm. I realize that that's a little bit of a, can be a wishy, wishy-washy term, but I think the important thing is that, in my experience, at least, my years, my 20 years at San Miguel, I found it to be the most spiritual place I had ever worked. We, we, we really paid attention to, um, while we didn't do sacramental preparation, any family that wanted to, the sacraments, we connected them with specific parishes. The, the culture was such that it was kids were actually prayerful. They had opportunities for um, um, religious experiences that might be a little bit different than if you were in a typical Catholic school. And then one other one other thing I'd just like to uh, mention because I still think of this uh, and I still it still goes on. Every year at the beginning of the year, the incoming fifth graders started school two weeks earlier than the rest of the kids. Okay. So by the time school officially opened, they were already Miguel men. And early on, we would have a blessing ceremony where in a very religious way, the entire community would gather at a morning assembly that would be specifically to bless them and to welcome them into the family. And it was a bookend because the very last day of school, when they were eighth graders, we had another blessing ceremony where that same group of kids gathered around and the entire community uh, blessed them as we wished them well. And we said, we're praying for you as you leave. We actually had boxes of Kleenex that were scattered through the crowd because it was so emotional. Mm -hmm. it, it was like, I've, I've never seen a place, and I think it's typical of most of the Miguel schools, where, where the kids develop such a bond and it becomes such a family that at the end, the thought of leaving, while it's exciting, it, it brings, kids to, um, brings kids to tears. That it's, it's really a bittersweet moment. Yeah, it uh, is, you know? One more question really that, on, that is on my mind. So here we are almost 29 years later, right? Uh, yes, yes. So, is the Miguel school, is the Miguel type of school still relevant, still necessary? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think um, the short answer to that is most definitely, mm -hmm. uh, because I think in terms of education, um, in some areas at least, and maybe, maybe, maybe this isn't fair, but maybe more in urban areas, mm -hmm. where I think the challenge is just because of numbers, the challenges are so much greater. That the need is still there. The, the difficulty is that all of the Miguel schools, for the most part, while they're starting to form endowments, they're having capital campaigns, they're doing all that stuff, the money that's raised is all soft money. Technically, when you begin a new year, you're, you're back at ground zero. Okay. You know? Now, fortunately, over the years, you have many, many people that, that give for 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. It makes it a little bit easier. However, um, that's, that's tough, you know, and, and, and 
you know, maybe we have to look at something going forward so that it's not um, as difficult as it is. You know, we get, we're finished, we're, we're hopefully, we're, we're getting through a pandemic. And the, the, the Miguel schools that are in our district in Dina, but there are 12 across the country, mm-hmm. are um, raising money is probably the most challenging situation. Absolutely. And when you're in a pandemic and you don't always have kids in school, it's a little bit harder to raise money if the kids and aren't we're there, seeing, you know? That we're seeing so, an economic downturn, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, also, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeful because, but I think that the, the need is still as great, if not greater than it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to share with us about your time at San Miguel before we? Do we have a couple hours? Ooh, uh, be, uh, probably not, right? No, but no. One of my, one of my favorite stories. Um, so in our first years, I, I mentioned earlier that we were, uh, we were using what had been a Lutheran school, mm-hmm. but that was a small facility and we outgrew it while the number of kids stayed the same family involvement, after school programs, sports, uh, doing, you know, more with science, uh, labs, robotics, the arts, all that stuff. We, we outgrew the space and we needed another building. So in 2010, through a pretty laborious process, we ended up getting a new building. So it would have been the last day of school in 2010 at our original campus. Our morning ceremony, our morning um, assembly, the entire student body and staff walked through the building. And we were in a classroom, we said a prayer, a couple of kids shared, reminisced, you know, they reminisced about their time in that room. We went to the library, went to the cafeteria. We're just getting ready to go to the schoolyard. And um, all of a sudden it just started raining. And so we were about ready to go out into the schoolyard and a boy, I still remember this, his name is Orlando. He's probably about 27 now. He, he looks up at the sky and he goes, God's crying. He said, God doesn't want us to leave this building. And he's crying to think that this is our last day here on Carter Street. And I'm thinking like, you know, like a 12 year old boy thinking that it was just a beautiful, it was just so touching, you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole thought that I think the kids even were crying to a certain extent, you know, um, and these yeah, are students that would only have known it for a handful of years, as opposed yeah, to yeah, one to four years. Yeah, yeah wow. exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I still remember that. I, I must admit, I and I tell this to people uh, frequently enough. I guess that I've been out of San Miguel now for uh, seven years, I think, and I've had a couple of other uh, ministries. And my my heart, I think, is always going to be on Branch Avenue. I think that's a great way to end. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Very welcome. It's great. great, Always great to be with you. It's good to be with you too. And I look forward to seeing you in a few weeks, but I couldn't think of a a better way for us to end our season together. Um, Thank you. Having you on and and sharing your story and really uh, very Lasallian in nature, responding to the signs of the times and seeing the needs of the children in front of you. Yeah. And even to know that it's still necessary now, 29 years later, not only Providence in, in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and in, in Chicago, and in many other places around our country. Yep. Yeah. Nope. It's great being with you and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Take Thank care. you, brother. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye, JT. Hey, everybody. Thank you for 
being with us all the way to the end of our very last episode of this first season. And thank you very much to Brother Brother Lawrence for coming on and helping us finish, as Brother JD said, with a bang. Um, it's been quite a ride this this season. We We definitely have had a lot of fun, and we thank all of you for joining us this season and and having fun with us. This podcast has really taken on a, a life of its own, and we are incredibly thankful and blessed to have your support as well as the support of so many brothers throughout not only North America, but around the Institute. It really means a lot to us. And so you might be wondering what, what's going to happen to us coming this coming summer as we begin our transition, and we're very happy to announce that. So in August, I will be teaching in, at LaSalle Academy in Providence, Rhode Island, and brother will be? I will be going back to my own alma mater in Los Angeles, California at Cathedral High School. And so that, it's very, we're both very excited. We're both very grateful and thankful to all the people who have helped us get through this year. But I think they they want to know more about the podcast than our own personal lives. Oh, this isn't about me? I Well, you know, sometimes things aren't. Although it is about you, me, but it's really more about the podcast. You heard it here first, folks. It's about me first, not him. See, it's about the English language. You go before me. It's you and I, not I and you. But that's neither here nor there. Guys, coming up, this might be our last episode for Brother JD and myself. But we do have two more episodes. Possibly three. Possibly three. Planned with a, a number of guest hosts from around uh, the region of North America. Um, and we're very fortunate and, and thankful that these people have accepted the invitation to join us and to guest host some episodes. While Brother and I take some time off transitioning from the novitiate to active ministry. That's right. And so this summer, you will be accompanied by, like Brother said, a number of people. And the podcast doesn't end there. No, we will pick back up in August once we get our sea legs, so to say, in our respective ministries and communities. Sorry, I get very seasick. Can we use another metaphor? Uh, no. Once we get running? Once we, once we get up and running? Up and running. Okay, we can go with that. And so we look forward to next season. And what might come next season. And all that it entails. And all that it entails. And for the last time, Brother JD, do you want to end it? Live Jesus in our hearts. Forever.